Hello and welcome to Wellbeing. I'm Dr. Virginia Reid and today we're going to be discussing mental health with Graham Steele. Welcome, Graham. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Graham, how did you become interested in mental health? Oh, uh, in the first place, uh, we have a son who suffers from um, uh, a mental illness and uh, we felt that we wanted to give something back my wife and I, uh, because we got a lot of help ourselves from organisations like the Schizophrenia Fellowship, and uh, we just felt, okay, let's play our part, do our part. And what is your part? What are you doing at the moment? Oh, pretty busy um, teaching uh, mental health first aid on, on behalf of the fellowship. We work on a voluntary basis. And uh, we've been careering around the state, around New South Wales, teaching the, the course to people, particularly in, in more remote communities. Wonderful. And what is the actual course, just so our listeners get a bit of an idea of what it is that you're teaching? It's a two-day course, and uh, it's basically... Um, it's very similar in, in many respects to the St John Ambulance physical uh, first aid course, except that it's about mental illness. It teaches people how to recognise the signs and symptoms of uh, mental illness coming on and uh, how to respond to somebody who is suffering from uh, an illness of some, you know, whatever it might be. Um, how to handle uh, people in uh, undergoing a psychotic episode, how to help them, how to um, look for the signs of suicide, uh, which often comes as oh, the result of depression and so on. And in general terms, it teaches um, a fair bit about mental illness and its prevalence in Australia. And can we discuss a little about what its prevalence actually is, why you think it's important to get this sort of information across to people? Hmm. The official figures tell us that uh, 20% of the Australian population will suffer from a mental illness in any given year. But the figures are a little outdated now, the, the official figures, and we believe it might be creeping closer to 30%. That's a lot of people suffering from a mental illness, you know, and some people suffer from more than one. Of course, if you have anxiety, you are quite likely to also have depression. Uh, so comorbidity between um, mental illnesses is quite high. Mm. And what are some of the things that you teach people about, for example, recognising anxiety, depression? We look at the signs and um, the causes of anxiety. We look at the lifestyle things as much as anything. Um, we look at uh, overuse of substances uh, like caffeine, for example, can lead to high anxiety levels. Tobacco can lead to anxiety or depression. Mm. Um, alcohol, of course, uh, can lead... Uh, it is a depressant. Mm -hmm. And we don't teach that you should not drink alcohol at all. We just say, let's look at um, what alcohol can do to you if you uh, abuse a substance and uh, let people make up their own mind. 
Mm. Now, of course, what we're talking about is substances that are generally used in the public and most people would probably be saying, look, I do that and I don't have any problem with it. When does it become a problem? It becomes a problem if it's going on for some amount of time and when it starts to affect your your lifestyle, it, it will affect you in the workplace and it will affect uh, your relationships with other people, particularly your own family. That sort of thing tends to happen fairly insidiously, doesn't it? So have we got any guidelines to, to help people about specific incidents, etc., that may have happened to them that may be related to their mental illness or their substance uh, overuse, and they're just not recognising it because it's come on fairly slowly? It does quite often creep up on, on you. Look, when it starts to affect your appetite, it affects your, your sleeping, your general functioning. Mm. Uh, you can't sleep or you'll sleep too much. Um, general functioning in the workplace, you become accident prone, mm. um, can be the result of depression which comes in turn from overuse of various substances. But depression can also be caused by uh, other things. You can ha almost inherit a predisposition to depression and to anxiety. Mm. Uh, so it can also be an environmental thing. So do we have any sort of um, statistics on how common it is in families, is the genetic predisposition to depression, anxiety? No, I don't have the... the the figures on on the genetic predisposition. I know that you know, nine point seven percent of the Australian population suffers from anxiety, for example, mm. which is a lot, mm. and uh, it's it's suffered more by women than by men. Mm. Uh, and depression's five point four percent. It's quite a high percentage of people, it, isn't it? It is. And that's probably a bit of an underestimate in that the World Health Organisation says a third of the population have it yes. at some stage in their lives, not necessarily continuously, but no. at some stage in their lives. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's quite a, quite a problem. And what are the ways that you teach for people to recognise it and to help them? Do you teach help yourself or...? We teach a variety of things. First of all, what we're on about is first aid. And uh, we're not trying to teach people to be therapists themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very much a first aid thing. And it's how to apply first aid until a person can get professional help. So we, we try to teach people, um, yes, we recognise the thing, then looking at the various ways of treating some of these illnesses, uh, particularly anxiety and depression. We're, we're looking at uh, things other than medications as well. We're looking at medication, of course, because there are times when medication is, is important. And we also teach things like cognitive behaviour therapy. We don't teach CBT, mm -hmm. but we teach about it. Mm -hmm. And CBT appears to be one of the really helpful therapies. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Dr Virginia Reid and we're discussing mental health first aid with Graham Steele. So we were saying that there are other therapies than medication for certain illnesses and that one of the things that you educate people about is cognitive behavioural therapy, which is 
one of the few proven beneficial treatments for anxiety depression. What are some of the other measures that you you try to introduce to people? Some of the alternative therapies might include um, uh, the use of St John's wort mm, if you're very, very careful. Mm-hmm. If you're very careful, because there are a number of interactions or mm. um, counter what do they call them counter um, something or other. It can be counterproductive, true. Yeah, yeah, it can be counterproductive, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Counterindications, what I was thinking mm. of that. Um, but uh, with St John's Wort. Uh, so we, we teach that. Uh, I think Sammy is another one which uh, has a great long name. And uh, mm. uh, So there are therapies like that. We also look at autogenics. And uh, I've practised autogenics myself in the past, and it really can be helpful. What is autogenics? It's a question of transferring, well, through, you go through a process where you can actually transfer heat ah. from one part of the body to another. Ah. And uh, when, you, when you're learning autogenics, they give ah. you a palm thermometer. Ah. And you can feel a cool breeze on your forehead, for example, and if you look down at your hand, the temperature's actually increased. Goodness me. And, it's and that's a known therapy for anxiety, depression? Yeah, anxiety. Yeah. Ah. It's very good for anxiety. Now, where do you learn that? Well, I learned it at uh, a management course, actually, uh, ah. where we were taught it. And uh-huh. uh, that's how I cured headaches thereafter. Oh, goodness me, that's mm. fantastic. Yeah, I've not heard of it before, so thank you very much. I'll have to look it up. <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> it sounds fantastic, it, it, it's yeah. It's a meditation process. Of course it is, because the high monks are, are very good at uh, sitting in the snow with barely nothing on, and uh, you can yeah. actually put wet towels on them and they'll steam them. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's pictures of it. There's, it's well documented. So, yeah, yeah I, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know, w- with anxiety, it can help. Uh, yes. Oh, well, any of the meditative techniques, are the, are the uh, if you can do them. But, of course, that's the problem, isn't it? That's the issue. I'm presuming that's one of the things you teach with first aid. When you're stuck in a panic attack, the last thing you can do is meditate. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Although in the later stages, once you've started to calm down a bit, you can, you can think about it. And the mm-hmm. other thing to do, of course, is when you're not having a panic attack, but mm-hmm. if you are subject to panic attacks... Yes. Uh, learn autogenic training. Yes, yes. And, uh, Does that decrease the incidence of panic attacks the more you do it? I don't know. Uh, do we have the statistics? We don't have the statistics. No. The evidence, no. Mm. Um, but the I, suggestion is that if you practice something like that, eventually it'll overcome the panic attacks. It'll help. It'll, it'll dominate. It'll, it'll help you. Well, it'll perhaps even prevent you going into a panic exactly. attack. Exactly, yes. Like you know, cognitive behaviour therapy teaches you how to think realistically mm. and uh, will help prevent you from going into a panic attack. Mm. Mm. Precisely. And how can one access cognitive behavioural therapy now? Uh, through psychiatrists, uh, sci- psychologists, I'm mm. sorry. There are quite a few psychologists who are, are practising mm. and uh, now that uh, you can claim it on Medicare, Mm. Uh, it's uh, a big thing because yeah. it used to be expensive. And mm. people used to have the idea that uh, if you take on something like CBT, mm. it's going to take you, you know, for the rest of your life. Mm. Um, well, it's not because uh, a good psychologist will teach you the technique of cognitive behaviour therapy, 
and uh, you might have to go and see them a dozen times, but that would be it. You then mm. are set for basically for life. Mm. Yeah, I'd say as a GP, that's one of the great uh, joys now is the GP mental health plan, but whereby we can actually uh, give our patients 12 psychology sessions on Medicare. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. all, you know, Medicare mm. covered yeah. now, which yeah. I think is a big recognition of the problem. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We use um, a lot of uh, video tapes, interviews and things. Okay. With people like uh, Gary MacDonald, for example. Yes. He's uh, a very famous depressed person, uh, or was depressed. Yeah. Uh, and it's a brilliant interview uh, that Gary talks about his anxiety, his depression, and how he responded to CBT. Mm. Oh, okay, so he specifically talks about because I know Craig Hamilton has also written a really fantastic yeah. book, and, yes. and yes. Uh, Margaret Ollie. There's a lot of people coming out and saying this is important. Do something about it. Your quality of life will improve greatly. Yes, that's if you right. just say it's a problem. Yeah. I I often say to people it's a bit like you know diabetes and insulin. Um, how do you feel about mental illness in that? Way, I wish we could take the word mental out of mental illness. Yes, right. Because it's an illness, mm. <laughs> uh, mm. just like mumps and measles and mm. so on. Mm. Uh, it's uh, debilitating, yes. uh, just as many other illnesses are. In fact, the uh, World Health Organization has done research in the Netherlands and it shows that uh, a person suffering from moderate depression is just as disabled as a deaf person. Really? If you look at a person um, suffering from uh, moderate post-traumatic stress disorder, uh-huh. then the level of disability is the equivalent of a paraplegic. Wow. And if you go to severe schizophrenia, which yeah. we haven't even discussed yet, yeah. uh, a person with severe schizophrenia is just as disabled as a quadriplegic. Yes, yes. Uh, and I think we need, this is one of the problems, that people in, in the community don't understand mm. this level of disability. Mm. If you see a person with a broken leg, mm. you, can, you can make allowances for it. Yes. If you see a person with you depression, can help them. yes, and you can help <laughs> get them. up the steps yeah, and yeah, things, yeah, that kind of yeah. thing. Uh, if you see a person with depression, you don't always um, you know, recognise it. Okay, so how do we, for example, recognise somebody with depression? Well, you have to be there for a while, mm-hmm. be with them for uh, a little while, mm. um, and uh, they will have. They'll have all kinds of symptoms. So it can be physical, emotional, psychological. Um, you know, they might be suffering from unknown pa- aches and pains, for example. Okay. They might um, have crying spasms. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might always be tired. Mm. Um, That's a very uh, common one. Very common. And, yeah. A lot of money spent in pathology and radiology on that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And... Uh, We've got. To, we really need to um, put together, a, if you like, the cocktail of symptoms that comes mm. with depression, mm. and present that to a GP. Because yes. if you go to a GP with a backache, well, yes. the GP will treat the backache. I think, though, too, to be perfectly fair to myself and my colleagues, very often I think because of this stigma on mental health and not wishing to label people with something mm. that they don't wish to have. We do all sorts of other things to avoid making the diagnosis. 
Why is that, do you think? Well, you've hit the nail on the head when you talk about stigma because the level of stigma uh, attached especially to depression is enormous. Mm. Um, you know, people are seen as lazy. Um, mm. The uh, Click the, out of it. And they're, yeah. They're, the, the poor, you know, the people that I see, they say to me, if only I could, I'd be joyous. Yes, that's right. But they can't. I mean, mm. the serotonin levels are mm. out of whack. Mm. <laughs> and there, there is a chemical imbalance mm. there yeah, with a, a person who's just like there is with insulin and diabetes. That's right, <laughs> exactly. Mm. And um, they can't just get out of it. No. Uh, you know, I I taught um, the course at a, a drug and alcohol rehabilitation centre recently, and mm. uh, the approach there was that we'll push people to do things. Well, mm. getting out of bed at 6 o'clock in the morning for somebody who's seriously depressed is not easy. No. They are not simply lazy. Mm. Uh, they simply can't get out of bed at that time of the morning. Mm, they simply feel wretched. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. You're asking them to do something that makes them feel absolutely wretched. Yes. And that's not a cure-all, what's more. No. That's not a cure. It won't cure them. <laughs> Absolutely. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm discussing mental health first aid with Graeme Steele. So, Graeme, having helped people recognise the symptoms of, for example, anxiety, depression, what are some of the other mental illnesses that affect, can affect people that may be noticed by colleagues, friends, etc.? Well, <clears throat> we move on then to the psychotic disorders as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. And and we teach especially schizophrenia mm-hmm. and uh, uh, bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, they are perhaps somewhat more serious in many respects, if you can grade them as being more or less serious. Mm. Uh, but they are much less prevalent. Yes, they're more serious for the individual, but less yeah. serious for the general populace. That's right. right. Um, you know, uh, where we have, uh, as I said, 9.7% of the population suffering from um, uh, anxiety disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, only about one, between 1 and 2% of the population suffers from the psychotic disorders. Right. Uh, the psychotic disorders are very much to the forefront in the mind of people because um, of people like Alfred Hitchcock, who mm. I wish in many respects had never made films because he, mm. his portrayal of psychosis was um, not exactly accurate. No, precisely. Um, but nonetheless, we have the, the Hollywood look, uh, the Hollywood approach to, mm. to psychosis, and people are afraid of it, and yes. there's no need to be afraid of it. Yes, they're not the murderers and the killers on the they're whole, not. are they? That's they a totally different category of mental illness, which is even rarer. Yes. yes. Very few yes. psychotic people are violent. And they're certainly not harmful except to themselves. That's right. Mm. Uh, you'll find a person who is in a psychotic episode is usually very much afraid. They're very mm. frightened. And mm. if you had two or three different voices talking to you, Mm. Um, telling you to do different things, mm. you would become frightened too. Mm, they're often quite yeah. paranoid, aren't yeah, they? they become so that's one of the symptoms, really, isn't it? That's abnormal one of the paranoia symptoms, and fear. Yes. Mm. Uh, psychosis can manifest itself through any of the senses. You can have olfactory psychosis where you, you smell things that aren't really there. 
Right. As well. Okay. Uh, you, we've got the voices as yes. uh, one. We've got um, the hallucinations of, you know, someone might see a snake sitting on her shoulder. Yes. For example, and that snake will talk to the person. Mm. Um, and it's important when we're dealing with this kind of situation mm. that we not acknowledge or we can acknowledge the fact that they feel yes. unwell, but we don't say, yes, I can see that snake sitting on your shoulder. Right. Um, you mustn't do that. Um, right. Dealing with uh, a person who is psychotic uh, is simply, it's not simple, but, you, you know, you, you just need to calm them down. Right. You need to stay anchored in the ground need, and not get frightened. That's right. Mm. You need to stay anchored very, very much so. Mm. Uh, quieten the situation down, support mm. them. Mm. They need support because, mm. you know... They're frightened. They're frightened, mm. yeah. Predominantly. And uh, when people recognise psychosis, what should they do about it? Well, in the first place, if it's um, an acute situation, yes. you, you, you try... You get help for the person. Right. That's, it's an emergency type situation. It becomes it? an emergency yeah. type situation. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, you try and calm them down mm-hmm. as a first aider mm-hmm. uh, and until help arrives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, in some remote parts of the country, it's going to take a while for help right. to, to arrive. Right. Um, because we don't spend, we still don't spend enough on, on mental illness in, in this country. Mm. But uh, it's improving. So all you can do is help them through the episode, and the episode will eventually, we hope, um, dissipate or, or uh, they'll eventually come through it. Mm. Uh, we have to watch them to make sure that uh, they don't become suicidal. Yes. And, um, you know, we've got these principles with um, mental health first aid of assessing whether. Um, a person is suicidal or not. It's and is that the same for depressed people? Yes. Right. We've got a five-stage process we go through. Right. It might be good to go through that, mightn't it, yeah. because that is important thing to pick because I think that's one of the big regrets of people who have relatives, friends, suicide on them, that they yes. didn't pick it. We have to assess the risk of suicide or harm. That's the very first thing Okay. We, we have to then listen non-judgmentally and we do exercises in judgmental and non-judgmental listening Uh, uh, and then um, we give reassurance have to give reassurance because a person Mm. who is in a bad way will be afraid Mm. Uh, we then encourage the person to uh, seek professional help and we finally we encourage the person to to seek self help or to employ some of the self help techniques for their overall condition. And the professional help is pretty important in, mm. in all that. Mm. Um, but in assessing a person, I mean, there are, for the risk of suicide, uh, there are a lot of things that it's probably dangerous to go into it in. A little, the yes. little time that we've got here. But uh, there are a lot of signs that um, people think are good signs that yes. in fact are not necessarily uh, good. For example, if a person is very depressed, yes. if they've let themselves go right, and they suddenly bounce out of it, right. 
um, that may not be a good sign. It may be a sign that uh, they're suddenly feeling better mm. because um, they can see the end of their pain. Uh, mm-hmm. So that kind of thing. But that's please just one small <laughs> one small thing. There are so many things that uh, you know in a radio program it's uh, difficult to discuss. I think. Okay, so what are the th- things that people have found the most interesting about your program? The uh, feedback. We always have fun with substance use disorder <laughs> <laughs> because we start talking about what is a standard drink, okay. for example, and uh, you know, I get people to pour glasses ah, of water. Okay, what they think, and uh, not many uh, regard a hundred mils of. Um, uh, table wine as being a standard drink, but it is. It's quite small comparatively. It, it is, mm. and the we've got to be careful because the the amount that is poured into a, a wine glass in a mm. restaurant is mm. not a standard drink. No, uh, that's sort of a bit light-hearted towards the end of it, but there's a very serious message in it. And that is, that is, keep to no more than four standard drinks per day for a male, and mm. I, that's more than I would have thought, But mm-hmm. uh, and no more than two for a woman mm. because body weights vary and um, people mm. metabolise things um, differently. Mm. Um, yeah, that's interesting uh, to a lot of people. It also in substance uh, abuse mm. is uh, the notion that uh, the latest research that we have shows that the use of marijuana as a youngster Mm. can now lead directly to schizophrenia. Mm. It used Mm. to be if you had a predisposition towards it, but now um, marijuana can lead directly to schizophrenia and it can happen any time within 30 years. Right. So from the use of it to within 30 years of its use. You could still Mm. develop schizophrenia. So people are interested in that. Yes. People are interested in the psychotic disorders. Yes. Of course, because that's where, uh, especially in the bush where we've been teaching, Mm -hmm. they may need to Mm. apply uh, the first aid for an extended period. Right, right. Okay. Anything for panic attacks? With panic attacks, we teach simply, again, uh, that, uh, first of all, symptoms of a panic attack are very similar to the symptoms of a heart attack. Yes. Very similar, and I don't think that as first aiders we are qualified to distinguish between the two. Uh-huh. So we try to calm people down, uh-huh. uh, whether it be a panic attack or, or a heart a attack. Heart attack. It's very good for you, a heart attack victim to calm them down. You've got to calm them down, get sure. them uh, breathing normally. So you have a technique for doing we that? We have you a teach technique. That? We teach a technique, okay. a, a breathing technique. Okay. And we just get generally calm the situation down, mm-hmm. get the breathing, call an ambulance, mm-hmm. because if it is a heart attack, you're going mm-hmm. to need an ambulance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And New South Wales ambulances, uh, ambulance men particularly, have been... Um, had a campaign on Don't Die of Embarrassment. Yes. Right? I think that's brilliant, actually, because um, they're not going to mind if they come and it is a panic attack and the person's feeling better. Mm. Uh, 
they will be very upset, though, if mm-hmm. they haven't been called and mm. it's something more serious. Mm. So yeah. I suppose that what we're teaching for panic attack may be of some help for a heart attack or for a severe asthma attack mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. well. Certainly, I don't think it's going to do any harm. Mm, no, certainly not. Couldn't agree more. Mm. Well, it's been wonderful talking to you. I'm sure the people out back or in the northwest of New South Wales are very appreciative of your time and effort. Are they the people that you find respond the best to this program? They do respond very well indeed, but uh, I haven't yet found a group that hasn't responded well. So most people find it very useful. Yes. Fair few ahas. Yeah. And something that I suspected for a while and now I can actually do something about it. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's wonderful, isn't it, always to empower people with some knowledge? It is. Well, it then is. they don't have to be afraid anymore. Yeah, and, and hopefully we can cut the stigma. Yes, absolutely, so we can get on with it and do something about it, like mm. any other regular <laughs> problem that we seem to <laughs> have as humans. Absolutely. Yes. Graham, thank you very much, and to your wonderful wife, who I know supports you wonderfully in all of this. It's a pleasure. Graham Steele. So from all of us here at Wellbeing, we'd like to say we wish you well.